This is Real Estate Rookie episode 296. The property management company owned their maintenance company. You don't want to spend time trying to call four different plumbers to get a, a quote on how to replace a wax seal. But when we did search for other prices, the property manager's rates were typically more expensive. Because you got to think too, right? If they're only charging you 100 bucks per unit, that's not a significant amount of money. That's because you're so used to the short-term rental. He's <laughs> totally yeah. the 30%. Yeah. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And we are back today with another Rookie Reply episode. We're going to be answering four questions from folks that are part of our Rookie audience. And look, guys, if you want to get one of your questions answered, head over to Bigger pockets.com forward slash reply. And uh, us and our team will see those questions there and we'll pick out the good ones to share on the show here. And I go on to a tangent about property management fees and things you need to know about how much you could actually end up paying for property management. Just because the fee is 8%, 10%, that usually does not mean that that's what you're going to be paying in property management. So very important when you're doing that deal analysis that you're actually you know, reporting more than whatever the percentage is, because there's always going to be these other fees that are baked in. Yeah. We also go on to talk about what a balloon payment is and how you can strategically use that within your real estate investing strategy. We talk about how to insure property when it's in the rehab phase. And then we talk a little bit about buying pre foreclosures, which honestly, some people make their entire real estate portfolio based strictly on that strategy of buying pre foreclosures. So lots of really good information in today's episode. But uh, before we get into the questions, I just want to give a shout out to some that left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and listen, guys, if, if you haven't taken, it's literally two minutes of your life. If you haven't taken that time yet, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach, and the more folks we can reach, the more lives we can change, which is what we love doing here at the Wiki Podcast. Uh, but today's review comes from someone by the username of We Are Notes. Not sure what that means. Uh, but this person says, the, the title of the review says, you're saturating my sponge. <laughs> it's got to be one of the funniest uh, titles I've seen. But this person says, I'm new to uh, real estate investing, haven't secured my first deal yet, but hopefully will this year and have learned so in capital letters so much from your podcast. The information is concise and relevant, easy to listen to and understand. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work. Ash, how does it feel to know that we're out there saturating sponges? <laughs> I'm going to start using that all the time now. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the reviews and it makes our days. And Tony's happy because then I don't get crabby on the podcast and we can have a great show reading your wonderful reviews. So thank you guys so much. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. 
or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. All right, so our first question today comes from Blake Echelbarger. And Blake's question is, how do you go about insuring your newly acquired properties while in the rehab phase of the Burr process? I'm about to purchase my first Burr and my State Farm agent says they can't insure a property that is not inhabited. They will only insure it when the rehab is done and a tenant is in place. Is that normal or is that just a State Farm thing? Are there insurance companies that specialize in some sort of interim property insurance coverage? Thanks for any ideas. Um, Ash, I know we definitely get insurance on our our rental uh, properties, even during the the rehab phase. Uh, but what, what is it like for you? I know you buried a lot of properties out in New York. Yeah, we do get insurance on them uh, during that rehab phase that, you know, the a contractor could slip and fall. So you want some liability uh, insurance on it there. The place could start on fire while it's being rehabbed. So many scenarios to happen and you do want that property insured, especially if you are, you know, using a hard money lender, you have to pay back. If you are doing any kind of financing, they're going to require you to have insurance on the property. Uh, As far as your state farm agent, I highly recommend going to an insurance broker who actually works with a different uh, a whole bunch of different companies. So if you go to a state farm agent, they can only quote you insurance for state farm. But if you go to, um, you know, maybe it's their last name agency, they're usually a broker if they're not affiliated with, you know, a brand name um, of insurance and they'll be able to take in, they'll be able to quote out to you. Uh, the insurance company that I usually use here in New York is Dryden Mutual for rehab. So they'll go through and they will put insurance on it. And then as soon as the rehab is done, my insurance broker will go out and actually requote the insurance to Dryden and to other companies when the rent the it's you know it's ready to be rented and the tenant is in place. Um so we'll do that second piece of insurance and usually it becomes cheaper once the rehab is actually done on the property. Tony, what about you? Do you find that it's usually more expensive to have insurance on it during the rehab process? Yeah, the the rehab insurance policy is, is definitely more expensive because there's more risk to the the insurance company. Uh, but but much like you, Ashley, we uh, we go with a broker here locally, and she usually shops it around for us. And honestly, we we usually get our policies back within like a day. So we'll send her, hey, we just got this flip in her contract. Can you let us know what the cost will be? And like before the day is over, she has a few options for us and says, um, hey, I think this option is the best for you guys. And then once we once we sell, you know, for us it's usually our flips. Once we sell the flips, you know we'll pay for that year policy up front and then say we only end up using like four or five months of it. We'll get a refund for whatever that balance is um, when we sell that property. So yeah, uh, like I'd say lots of insurance companies out there will lend or not lend, but will insure properties that are in the rehab phase. I think it's just a matter of getting a kind of a, a wider, I don't know, I guess a wider range of options than just that one state farm office. Yeah. And you want a, an agent, like Tony said, who is going to get you a quote, you know, in a pretty quick turnaround where you can just, email them the information on the property, but you also want an agent that's knowledgeable in what you're doing too. So asking them, you know, how many other investors do you, you know, do insurance for making sure that they are asking you questions about the property. You don't want an agent where you're just sending the address and they're like, okay, here's a quote. Well, did they ask you, you know, what's the heat source? Is there a wood burning stove? Cause that could also increase your insurance policy. But if the insurance company doesn't know that there's a wood burning stove in it. And then the wood burning stove causes the fire. They could say, no, you never notified us. There was a wood burning stove. We're not insuring the property and now you're out of luck. So 
think um, find a, an agent, kind of vet them as to someone who is going to ask you those kinds of questions as to what are different things about the property. Because I've run into the scenario too, where I've went and I've put an offer on a property. I got my insurance quote, everything is great. And then after you close on the property, the insurance company would send out an inspector to do an exterior inspection of the property. And sometimes they would bring back things and say like, actually we're not going to insure this property because it's too close to the house next to it. And our insurance company doesn't do, you know, houses that are similar to row houses in a sense. And so then you have to, you're like, frantic. They're canceling your insurance. You have to go and find another insurance policy. And then maybe it's way higher than what you actually put into your numbers. So be very cautious of that. Make sure you are giving your broker, the, you know, the agent, the insurance company, all of the information that you can. So there are no surprises like that. And Ash, you, you bring up a really good point. And this is, this is probably like the, the topic of an entire episode. We should probably get like an insurance broker on on an episode and just break down like hey what are some of the mistakes that you see rookie investors making uh because i was i was at a conference this past uh, a couple months ago and there was a guy on stage who was talking about like liability as it relates to short-term rentals and he said most people in the short-term rental industry are underinsured and he was like they don't they don't take the time to read through their insurance policy and recognize all of the risk that they're actually exposed to um you know just by by all the things that could not happen at a short-term rental. So um, I, I think one piece of advice to all of our rookies that are listening is take the time to read through your, your insurance uh, policy and really understand uh, what's included, what's not included. Uh, so you can understand like where you might want to try and mitigate your, your risk. Like for example, this, this guy that was on stage says that he doesn't like having any type of, uh, large rugs inside of short-term rentals because he's seen so many policies, um, get called when a guest trips over a rug, like they, their toe catches the edge of a rug and they trip and fall. And that's not usually covered under your insurance policy. So there was just like so many weird stories like that, where he's like, these are things that have happened at a property but they're, they're not covered under most traditional insurance policy. So just something for people to think about and, and kind of understand it's like what is actually included in their policies. That just reminded me of, uh, not only like insurance, but also when I went furniture shopping, we were telling like the salesman, you know, it's for a short-term rental and things like that. And when, you know, we're cashing out, he's like, you know, we can't, um, provide you with the warranty coverage because this is for a short-term rental. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, well, like we don't provide warranty for that unless it's for like your own personal use in your home. So from then on, we learned to like keep our mouth shut, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's just like some of those things you don't really think about that happen. Let's go on to our next question from Ari Hader. What is a balloon loan? Do I pay only interest every month and pay off the entire principal after an agreed amount of time, like after five years? What's so good in it? Tony, have you ever done a balloon loan? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely have, right? So um, it, it's so Ari, it's really it's it's a balloon payment. So the loan is a is a is a typical loan like anything else, but you have what's called a balloon payment. Right. Um, and and I can give you a few different examples. So when I bought my very first uh, real estate investment, I had an um, an eighteen month. Or I think actually it was a 12 month loan from a bank to fund the purchase and the construction. And then I had a balloon payment um, at the 13th month that was uh, the principal plus any interest it had accrued during that time frame. So the way that a balloon payment works is um, during the life of the loan. Uh, and you can set it up in multiple ways, but the way that this specific loan was set up was that I was making interest only payments on the balance during that 12 month period. So in a usual loan, like when you have a car payment or a mortgage, your pain, your payment goes both towards your principal and your, and your interest payments. So as you make payments on like a car payment or a mortgage, a percentage of it goes towards your interest, which is paying back the bank. But then another percentage goes towards paying down your principal balance. So over time, if you look at year or, or month one versus month 12, after a year, you've paid down some portion of your principal balance. And a lot of these uh, loans that have balloon payments or that have these interest only structures during those 12 months, you're paying interest. So your, your principal never gets decreased. So month one, month 12, your principal balance is the exact same thing. 
And then at the end of that 12 months, you have to repay the principal balance. And you have two ways of doing that. Either you can come out of pocket, right? So you, for whatever reason, have the cash that's needed to pay back that loan in its entirety. Um, or what most people do is they refinance and get a, a long-term fixed debt to pay off that short-term note. So that's what we did. Um, the The benefit that we saw, Ari, was that it was it was significantly less expensive, so it was an inexpensive loan during those twelve months because you were only paying on the interest, um, whereas most payments are mortgage and interest. So you're paying less during that time, and it gives you enough time to set up your refinance, um, uh, like your long term debt, and get that refinance in place. Uh, so that, that's kind of how it's worked for us. Ash, how, how's it been for you and your business? Yeah, it's great for the holding costs. So during that rehab period, or you know, if you're fixing up the property before you actually go and refinance, um, just paying that interest only payment is lower because you're just paying the interest and not interest and principal. So you're not paying down any of the principal at the time. So you're not really building any more equity into it by principal pay down. Uh, one example of a, a the first time I ever did a balloon payment was a six unit I was purchasing. It was my first time doing seller financing. We set it up for one year and we did interest only payments at 7% and then the balloon payment at the year. So it kept my payments really low during that year while I did some updates to the property. And then I went and refinanced with another bank and I paid off the principal to the seller at the end of the year. So I think it's a really great um, tactic for negotiating a deal, like getting creative when you're offering that seller financing as to like, okay, you want seller financing, but this person doesn't want to hold it for a long time. What you can do is even if you're not doing just interest only, if you're doing principal and interest payments, you could still amortize it over 30 years so that you're still getting a really low payment and then just have the balloon payment maybe set for year two or year three. Um, I did do this, put together this deal once for this guy where it was a balloon payment in year five and a balloon payment in year seven. And then the total amount due in year 10, I think it was. So it was like, um, I think it was $800,000, $200,000 down upfront. And then in year five, it was like another 50,000 year seven, another 50,000. And obviously your the amount you're paying on the interest once that is paid down, is going to change when you're making these, you know, big payments to pay off part of the principal. So that's something else you can get creative with is, you know, maybe it's, you know, somebody who wants to retire, they don't want to take the lump sum now, but they do need more than, you know, what the principal and interest payments would be. Maybe you can set it up that the deal still works where in two years, you'd be able to give a little bit of a big lump sum and then later on, you know, another big lump sum. So, um, so many different ways to, to get creative, um, with doing, uh, balloon payments in a loan. And now you bring up such a good point that like there, there really is no right or wrong way to set them up. Um, I'd say the majority of like balloon payment type situations that you see, um, especially like in the residential space, it's usually using some kind of like interest only type, uh, setup, but you can really do it however you want. Um, and you know, you, you see in the commercial space, like when you're looking at you know, multifamily, or whatever it is, a lot of those, they'll go out and get like bridge debt, but it'll be for like three years, you know, and then they'll have like three years of, 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 of like interest only. And then they've got this big balloon payment there. So the, the terms can vary the, like how, how actually said she had multiple balloon payments throughout the life of her loan. So there really is no, no right or wrong way to do that. Um, but like we just, as, as we were talking about this, you know, and, and like how the balloon payments can kind of come into play, you also want to make sure that you don't put yourself into like a, uh, I guess like a, a tricky situation, like part of what, what caused the financial crisis of 2008 was that you had all these people on these adjustable rate mortgages that had these big balloon payments. Um, and most people, what they were doing was they were just refinancing because property values were continuing to go up. But when you saw these property values start to reverse, people didn't have the equity to refinance and then their payments skyrocketed and they couldn't afford their loans anymore. Um, so you just want to make sure that you're still 
uh, being conservative, I guess, when you're getting into these balloon payments, because you could get into a situation where you, you might end up holding the bag and, and not being able to afford it. Right. And I, I literally just read something. I think it was yesterday morning about, um, office space and how office space is, is going to get hit super hard over the next couple of years, because you have all of these, uh, office spaces that were on these kind of short-term notes where they had maybe 24, 36, five years. Um, and now those notes are coming due. And because the valuation of, of office space is based on occupancy to a large extent and occupancies are down across the board for office, you're seeing valuations go down. So now people in these, in these office buildings that, that have these, these notes are going to be in a really tough situation where they, they can't necessarily refinance because the value of the property today is significantly lower than it was before. So you, you still just want to be conservative, even as you're moving into these, um, you know, kind of balloon short-term debt type situations. That's a great point because a lot of, we talk a ton on here about residential loans, but commercial loans, a lot of them do have a balloon payment. So you may be amortizing the life of the loan over 15, 20 years, but the loan is only fixed for five years and it could actually be a balloon payment. So Another investor that I help out, I'm helping him refinance two properties right now where it was a five-year fixed and he has to refinance out of that loan after the five years. It doesn't even transfer into a variable rate. So he's doing that right now. But like, if you were to go and you're like, I'm going to buy as much as I can right now and you're putting all of these properties that you're purchasing on these five-year loans in five years all of those ones are going to be due at the exact same time and you're going to have to go and refinance all of them. And then what if rates have skyrocketed and now every property you have, these payments are going to be huge. So I saw a lot of banks this past year offering, you know, the, on the commercial side, like five year, seven year, and even 10 years sometimes. So like, I think as an investor, you have to be strategic as to when these loans are coming due because you know, there's all these different things that could come into play and you don't want to be stuck, you know, with all of these loans that you have to pay off with not a lot of options to refinance, whether it's because your debt to income is too high, whether you lost your W-2 job and it's hard for you to go and refinance, whether, you know, interest rates have gone up so high or lending requirements have gotten a lot stricter, or you're going through vacancies at one of your properties where nobody wants to lend on it or different things like that. So, um, be cautious on the commercial side. Uh, as far as the, it did make me think of one benefit of a balloon payment though, where I had worked, uh, with this investor on this deal where, uh, the guy didn't have enough money for the down payment to purchase the property. So how he set it up was he went to the bank, he did his loan, but then he did a second loan on the property that was seller financing. So it ended up being, about $80,000. And then I think maybe he brought $50,000 of his own for the down payment. And he did interest only payments uh, for, I think it was seven years, maybe. And then there was going to be the balloon payment at the end of the, the seven years to the seller. So the benefit of this, this was getting the deal done for the seller. So they're moving forward. He was still getting a big chunk of change from the mortgage the person was getting. And then also that 50,000 that they were bringing themselves. And then he was seller financing that 80,000 and getting monthly payments over the course of seven years. And then the balloon payment was made at the end of seven years. The bank that had the first loan on it allowed this to happen for him to have a second lien on the property because the numbers made sense and the monthly payment was so low that the cash flow of the property could easily cover the mortgage payment to the bank and the payment to the seller financing. So this is something you don't usually see on the residential side where the bank will let you go and get a second lien or seller finance the down payment or borrow money for the down payment, even unless it's like a gift from a family member or somebody else going on to the deed. So that is definitely one tool if you are going on to the commercial side of lending is using that seller financing, doing a balloon payment. So you're able to stabilize that property, have enough time and you'll be able to pay back the, the seller financing whenever the balloon payment term is. 
That's like part of what makes real estate investing so cool is that it allows for endless creativity in terms of how to get a deal done. And the more conversations we have with other investors, the more structures and you know lovers and creativity that we see and as long as you and that other person on the other end of that 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 deal are, are happy then you know and you're not breaking any laws obviously then 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 it works uh just, just one last thing ash that, that came to mind as you were mentioning about the you know not having all of your debt come due at the the same exact time and you're on these kind of short-term notes um the the same holds true like if you're a long-term rental landlord, if you can try and stagger your vacancies um, so that they're not all happening at the same time, you're also going to make your life easier on yourself. So, you know, when I, when I worked at that, this like leasing company here locally for a brief time after college, and I would see, you know, they, they would give us like sheets for each unit that was vacant and said, if the tenant, you know, signs a six month lease, here's what the rates are per month. If they sign a seven month lease, here's what it is. Here's an eight month lease. And here's what it is. And you would think that, uh, you know, a 10 month lease would be cheaper than a six month lease because the landlord is keeping you in the unit for four months longer. But you would see is that sometimes a six month lease on that unit would be four or $500 more than the 10 month lease. And when I asked why I said, why are we charging more on, you know, this, this longer term lease and we are on the shorter term lease. And their reasoning was we have too many units that are coming due in that, in that six month time frame. So we want to try and reduce the number of people that choose that option and push them out three or four months so that we we can stagger our vacancies. Um, so I just thought it was a really interesting thing. And it just came to mind when you mentioned the whole staggering your balloon payments also. Yeah, that is interesting. Cause like here in Buffalo, everybody tries to make the leases end in the spring because nobody moves in the winter. So mm -hmm. that happens where like, we'll offer you instead of a 12 month lease, a 15 month lease and give you a little bit of a discount. You know, if you sign so that it ends up, your lease ends in spring or, you know, early summer, because that's when most people tend to move um, is in the spring and nobody wants to have their lease end in the winter because if somebody does move out, it's a lot harder to fill in the winter. Right. So just, yeah, something that came to mind. Interesting thoughts. All right. So this question comes from Bill Hall and Bill says, I have a house I may be putting an offer in on. It's a pre foreclosure. The homeowner is $19,000 behind. My question is when calculating this bid, do I put this number in with the rest of my expenses? Um, so I've, I've never purchased a pre foreclosure, but let me just kind of explain in the national, I'll kick it over to you. So when a home buyer uh, purchases a home and they get a mortgage from a bank, the, you know, they're entering into a contract with that bank to say, I'm going to pay you X dollars per month for the next 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And when a uh, when a home buyer defaults or stops making payments, the bank then starts the foreclosure process. Um, and eventually the bank might end up kicking that person out of the home, retaking possession of the property, and then they'll sell that property uh, on the market, typically for a loss. Um, but there, there are multiple steps before the homeowner actually gets kicked out. And, and pre-foreclosure is the step right before the bank starts to start all the legal process of getting you kicked out of the home, where sometimes people try and sell to avoid that foreclosure kind of hitting their hitting their record. Um, and it's a win for the bank because if they can avoid a short sale um, situation where they're selling their property at a loss, um, then the bank obviously gets to kind of preserve themselves in that situation as well. So um, that's just kind of what the, the pre-foreclosure process is. Um, but actually, I know you, you said you purchased at least one, one property that was kind of in the, in the pre-foreclosure process. So I guess give us kind of that story. And then did you have to bring that person's uh, payments due, like current, before you were able to, able to purchase the property? Yeah. So we actually ended up doing a subject to deal on this property. Um, so if you guys go back and listen to Pace Morby's episode that we had him on, we talked about this a little bit. Um, and then he goes it, obviously advanced into subject to what that is, but that's basically when you're going to take over the person's loan payments, the loan will stay in their name. The property will be deeded into your name and now you own the house and you're going to be paying their mortgage on their behalf, but you can still buy a pre foreclosure without doing subject to deals where they're taking over their mortgage. So in this scenario, the homeowner is 19,000 behind. And the question is when calculating this bid, do I put this number in with the rest of my expenses? So if you are going to purchase this property in cash, 
you will, no matter what, you will have to pay that 19000 but you'll also have to pay the balance of whatever is due on the loan too. So just if you were purchasing from somebody who, you know, was all caught up on their mortgage and have any back payments and they owed $100,000 on their house, when you bought their house from them, that $100,000 would have to be paid off. So in this scenario, it's just, they are 19,000 behind. Maybe they owe, you know, another 50,000. So you would have to pay that full 79,000. It wouldn't matter if it was past due or if it's due in the future, that whole lien, that whole mortgage would have to be paid off no matter what. So the first question would be is how are you purchasing this property? So are you purchasing in cash? Are you using a hard money lender? Are you getting bank financing? Whatever that may be, you got to figure out, make sure that you're accounting that you are going to have to put an offer in that covers that 19,000 and then whatever the remainder balances on the loan. You can do what is called a short sale where you actually negotiate with the bank as to what a purchase price could be so that the bank doesn't have to do the, you know, the full foreclosure. They can recoup some of their costs. This process, um, we actually tried to do this first with uh, the bank that we ended up getting the subject to deal on and paying the the back uh, mortgage on it. We tried to do this with the bank, but they weren't very willing to negotiate much. And then it ended up just being that the doing the subject to and just taking over the mortgage payments was a lot better deal for us. And we ended up paying in cash the money that was owed and got the person current on the mortgage. And then every month we continued to make the mortgage payment on their behalf this person also had back taxes due too, so we had to pay the back taxes. So if you're going and you're getting financing on a pre foreclosure, and they have nineteen thousand that's that's past due, if you're you know putting twenty percent down and then getting a loan, part of that twenty percent, part of the loan would be towards you know that purchase price. So when you're making your offer, that nineteen thousand would be included. So you know you're not making your offer and then they accept it and you go to close and you're paying the purchase price plus the 19,000 they owe you want that 19,000 would be wrapped into whatever you're offering to purchase the property for so that could be part of you know the loan if you're going to purchase the property with a loan um but yes you're definitely going to calculate this um most of the time if you're not doing a short sale where you're negotiating with the bank if you can go on you know, the county records or prop stream or any other, you know, paid software that gives you property records, you can kind of get an idea of what the mortgage balance is. If there is anything past due, what the, usually you can't get a very super accurate amount. It's more of like an estimate, like based on the term of the loans they got, what their interest rate was, this is what we think, you know, is owed on the loan currently, but you can kind of gauge and see like, okay, you know, I'm interested in this property. I know it's going into pre foreclosure, but then you look and say, okay, this property is only worth $200,000, but yet they owe $250,000 on it. And they're behind another 10,000 on it or something like that. So that can kind of gauge like, okay, I'm going to have to have to do a short sale because it's not worth paying that much more for the property because they have these liens that that need to be paid off. But if the numbers work and you're still getting a great deal, then yeah, go ahead, run the numbers and make sure you're calculating any other costs. And if they are, if it is going into pre-foreclosure, make sure you're looking to see if there's other liens or judgments on the property too, like the back taxes. So they can't afford their mortgage payment. Are they staying up on their taxes too? Very important to look at. Great breakdown, Ashley. And 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 again, like there's so many nuances to, to real estate investing. I feel like that's the the theme of today's show, right? <laughs> um, and knowing like, okay, should I try and just do this subject too? Should I let it go into foreclosure and then try and pick it up on the back end? Um, the the second deal that I ever bought was a short sale. Uh, and just like one caution for folks that are listening is that uh, be prepared for a short sale to take a long time. <laughs> um, like my my deal, that second deal that I bought, um, 
it, I think I, 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 it was like months and months and months in between when I submitted the offer and when they actually came back and said yes. Um, and even more months after that, when we, when we actually closed, because there was an initial buyer that was lined up, that buyer backed out. Then the bank came to me and said, Hey, you were our, our second offer in line. Do you want to take it? And then like the negotiation process took forever because just because the seller agrees to an amount during a short sale, the bank still then has to go back and approve that amount as well. And that can take forever. So you you can get a, a really fantastic deal when you buy as a short sale, but just be prepared that it could be a, a lot of song and dance before you actually get to the get to the finish line on that one. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled, but we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Okay, so our next question is from Kyle Consider. For those of you who own out-of-town rentals, what do you typically pay for management of the property? So Tony, you had your Louisiana properties. What was the property management fee you paid for those? Because those were out of state for you. It was honestly pretty expensive. I think they had it at uh, 10% of rents, but with a cap of uh, $100. So all my like all the units that I had out there, I was only paying $100 per unit. Um, and the way that I, the way that I found my short-term rental company was I literally just went on Google and I typed in property management companies, uh, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, a bunch popped up. I called a bunch and I had like a list of questions that I wanted to ask, uh, every single person. And I'm, I'm pretty sure those questions came from just like the bigger pockets forms. Like I just searched the forms to find what questions to ask a property manager. And, um, you know, some just never got back to me. So that's obviously a sign. Um, there were a couple that, that, that did get back to me that I had phone conversations with. And then when I went to go close on the property, when I flew out to Louisiana to actually close, the one that I liked the most, I just asked him to meet me up for a cup of coffee. And uh, he sent someone from his team to meet with me and they 
They gave me a lot of insights about the the local economy, about the local city, about um, you know what what kind of works well when a rehab when you're rehabbing a property to get the best uh, to, to to get the best rent values. And I was very open and honest with them that I was a new investor, but I was looking for someone to grow with. And you know they were also new and kind of growing at the time, so they were happy happy with that. But um, yeah, it was it was a really cool process. But uh, it was just leveraging bigger pockets and then going out there and meeting people in person that kind of helped me find the right one. Yeah. So I always self-manage my properties. And then I did hire a property management company three years ago. And that was my first uh, experience with a property management company. And their fee, because it was me and another investor and in between the two of us bringing our properties to them, we got a bulk discount. So I believe it was five and a half percent for the first year. We just did a one year contract with them. That's pretty good. Five and a half percent. Yeah. And then it was $25 per a building um, a month. And that kind of covered like emergency services. So if there was like, you know, a plumbing issue on the weekend, they didn't charge like an overtime rate or anything like that. Just every month, every building. So the 140 unit apartment complex has five buildings. So we got charged $25 per unit every month for that, that property. Then like a duplex was $25 extra. Then there was a leasing fee of one month's rent. And then the maintenance fee, I can't remember what it was when we first started out, but I believe it was like 40 or maybe $45 an hour for any maintenance performed. And then there was a couple other, like uh, the onboarding fees can actually add up to a lot too. So make sure that you are asking what every single fee is from the day you start to the, the day you're offboarding that you leave the property management company. I recently decided to leave my property management company and do everything in house. So I hired my own maintenance people. I hired my own property manager But I did um, talk with this other property management company. And so I just pulled up their email and I'll I'll use them as an example to go through some of their rates too. But um, with that first property management company I used after the first year, the second year, they did increase it to six and a half percent, I believe, the management fee. And then I think the maintenance increased to like 50 an hour, maybe uh, for maintenance. And then I don't think there's any other changes in any other fees, but this other property management, just to kind of compare for the, the Buffalo area, what they had offered me was that their property management fee is 10%, which is the same. If you don't have a, it's, if you don't have a lot of properties, if you're not getting the bulk rate, that's the previous property management company charged 10% to other people. The loading fee is $895 per a unit. So that includes advertising, showings, tenant screenings, and lease document generation. Um, And then maintenance services are billed at $52.50 per an hour with a one-hour minimum and billed in 15-minute increments after the first hour. So that was kind of, you know, just the, the basics of their fee there. So I think it definitely varies from market to market. And I 100% think that the cheapest way is not always the best way to go. Just like using contractors, um, the cheapest is not always the best. So like, I often wonder like, okay, so for my properties, I was paying this very discounted percentage where other investors were paying a lot higher percentage at 10 to 12%. You know, obviously they're units were worth more to the company because they were getting paid so much more for that. So I wonder if that does, you know, reflect on some kind of service, you know, maybe not at all, but, um, just some of those things to think about. And then also kind of the maintenance services as to what maintenance do they actually do in house? Um, one thing that I typically saw a lot was, you know, a maintenance tech going out, charging for the hour or whatever to assess a situation. And then it would be, you know, sent to an actual plumber or things like that. So I'm getting, you know, charged just for somebody to look at it and then getting charged for the actual person to come and fix it. So for what I do now, doing everything in house is we have kind of like metrics set. So if a maintenance request comes in and it is a plumbing issue that is not like um, a toilet running or a faucet leaking, but it's, you know, 
anything other than like very simple planning tasks, it automatically gets the work order gets emailed directly to our plumbing vendor and they're just, they schedule, they set it up and then they go. So I think it's very important to understand how their systems and processes work in like all aspects too, not even just maintenance so that you're not getting billed for all these little things because they have this whole process. Um, another thing too, that, that came up was we started before we left the property management company, we started doing, um, hiring our own people to do turnovers in house because it was just getting so costly with the property management company with them doing it. And after we would do, we did a turnover in house, they sent a maintenance tech to inspect the property. And we were billed for him to come and inspect it and make sure it was rent ready. But we had already hired, you know, our own contractors to make it rent ready. And it was just like another fee that they were charging us to, you know, make money. But, um, so just know every little fee that, that can come out of it too. Uh, and sorry, I know I keep going on and on. No, no, <laughs> keep thing going. Too is like um, any cur- any like reoccurring inspections. So I think maybe year two into the property management company, they sent out a notice to all owners that we are now requiring everyone to have their property inspected. Uh, I think it was semi annually, and we'll send a tech out. It's going to cost you know seventy dollars for the inspection. We'll write up preventive maintenance things, which in general sounds like a great idea. Uh, for the 40 unit apartment complexes, uh, really wasn't a great idea. They went through and, you know, these apartments are pretty well done, everything like that, and would go through and then give us, um, we'd be charged $70 per unit, which ended up being a lot when you have a, a whole bunch of units. And then also they were saying like, okay, these smoke detectors need to be placed, this GFI needs to be placed, like all things that are safety issues. But the the problem was, was they were charging us rates of like, we could go to Lowe's and buy that. When you're replacing you know, 20 smoke detectors, you go to the Lowe's, the Home Depot bid room and you bid out those 20 smoke detectors to get a way cheaper. Um, so understanding the material costs of when you are being charged materials from your property management company, do they get discounts on that? Um, different things like that. It really, there's a lot I could keep going on and on about that I've learned over the years about the billing and the fees and the costs that all add up and are associated with property management companies. And if they do a good job, it is 100% worth it. Yeah. As you, you bring up so many, so many good points, but that that's honestly one of the reasons why long-term rentals at times can be difficult to be profitable is because of the, the fees that rack up from your property managers. I'm um, actually pulled up one of my, um, one of my PM agreements and now I was right as a hundred dollars per month um, to to manage the property. Uh, the lease up fee was was cheaper than what you said. Ours was only three hundred and fifty dollars. And if I remember correctly, this unit was renting out for like twelve or thirteen hundred dollars per month. Um, so a little more than a, th- a third of of one month's rent. But one of the other things that um, that happened was the property management company owned their maintenance company as well. And they always, you know, they always gave us the option of like, Hey, here's a quote from us. Um, if you want to get outside quotes, you're more than welcome to, but you know, you're busy working. Like you don't want to spend time trying to call four different plumbers to get a a quote on how to replace a wax seal. So just say, Hey, you know, you take care of it yourself. But what we found, uh, was that when we did try and search for other prices, the property managers rates were typically more expensive. Um, but it was the convenience that, that allowed them to kind of scale that up. Um, because you got to think too, right? If they're only charging you a hundred bucks per unit, like that's not a significant amount of money. That's because you're so used to the short-term rental. Yeah. 30%, right. But just, you know, just think if you're trying to build a business and each property that you bring on is only a hundred dollars per unit, like you need a lot for, for that to be a success, like a successful business It's actually going to pay the bill. So they do have to find ways to, to kind of make that, make that work for them financially. And the other thing that that came to mind, I've looked it up in here as well. Um, My property manager made us have uh, what they called an owner's account 
which was basically like a like a holdback or like a reserve account of five hundred dollars, and that five hundred dollars was to cover any expenses, um, like if just to make sure there was always money in the account to cover any expenses that came up. So like if they had to like whatever replace like a you know smoke detector or whatever maintenance and repairs came up, they didn't want to have to front that money. And their solution for that was making sure that there was always at least five hundred dollars in this owner's account. And we had two options to put that money in there. We could either just you know write a check five hundred dollars, put it in there at once. Or they would deduct $50 per month until they got to that $500. So think about if you go that route, now not only you're paying $100 per month for your property management fee, but now you're also tacking on an additional $50 per month for 10 months. Um, so now you're really paying $150 per month for your property management. And say you're only netting, you know, or, you know, you're, so you only have a couple hundred dollars per month in profits anyway. And that $50 makes a big difference over the course of a, over the course of a year. So definitely read through your, your PM agreements and get a really solid understanding of, uh, of what the different costs are. And you eventually get that $500 back when you leave the property management company, they give you those reserve funds back. So it's almost got to think of it as a savings account. That's not generating any interest for <laughs> <Yeah>. you, <laughs> but, um, that's interesting that they let you pay it over a period of time because when we did mm -hmm. it, everything had to be paid. That was part of the onboarding fee was that had to be paid up front. And that is a great thing to bring up. Tony is to like, think about that. Okay. You're purchasing this property. You've dumped your money into the down payment, maybe to pay some, you know, uh, your rehab to be done and you're, maybe you're strapped on cash. Like, did you make sure that you're going to have that reserves, um, for them? So. Well, thank you guys so much for submitting great questions today. As always, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash reply and you can leave us a question or you can slide into mine and Tony's DMs at Wealth from Rentals or at Tony J. Robinson. We will see you guys on Wednesday with a guest. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.